Welcome to the e-commerce badassery podcast, the place for scrappy female entrepreneurs who want to learn actionable steps and strategies to grow the traffic, sales, and profit in your e-commerce business. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster, a 20-year retail veteran who spent three years as the only employee of a seven-figure online store. That shit was crazy. I know exactly how it feels to do all the things, and I'm sharing everything I learned the hard way so you don't have to. I may have started this business by accident, but supporting badass bosses like you lights me the fuck up, and I am so stoked to see you grow. Are you ready, babe? Let's roll. Welcome back to the e-commerce badassery podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo-Coster. Today we have Katie White on the show, social media rock star and founder of KW Content, a global content and social media marketing agency that develops and launches content and social media programs for purpose-driven brands. She's been in the content game for over 10 years, getting her start with Burton Snowboards to now running her own agency for the last four Strong Brand Social is her newest project where she provides accessible social media marketing education that empowers small brands to develop their own high-performing marketing programs that drive growth. Teaching from her proven agency methodologies, she simplifies the process and demystifies the art of social media marketing to offer focus, efficiency, and measurable results to small business owners, brand directors, and social media marketers. I'm so excited to have her here to share some of her top strategies for getting the most out of your social program. Plus, she gives us a few permission slips that just may make the whole process of social media a lot easier. Grab your notebook, friend, and let's get into it. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jessica. Super hyped to be here. I'm super excited to talk all things social media because I know all of my listeners and pretty much every e-commerce business owner I know, they spend a lot of time, energy, effort on social. Most of us aren't even sure if we're doing it right or well. So (laughs) I'm excited to dive in to all the things with you today. But before we get started, I tell my audience how I always have pre-chats with my guests. And one of the things that we chatted about on our pre-chat was how, while you as an agency owner still think e-com businesses should do their social media in-house. Oh, it was really nice to hear you say that. Can you tell us a little bit about why you think that is? For sure. Yeah. So there's a number of reasons, as you alluded to just a second ago about we spend all this time doing it. We don't even know if we're doing it right. And that goes for whether or not you're working with an agency or not. I think e-commerce brands, especially if they're in a crowded market, especially if brand persona is part of what is going to set you apart, if community building and loyalty and all of those things you believe are going to lead to a bigger bottom line, all of those reasons are some of the reasons why I think it's better to own it in-house. I think social media is this daily, if not multiple times a day, touch point with our customers. It's the front lines. It's where we bring everything about our brand to life. And we really create and nurture and have these one-to-one relationships with our customers. And in order to do that well, and in order to do it well at a resource efficient clip, it takes a lot of work. And there's kind of this economy of scale that's achieved when you have someone 
who is living and breathing your brand on a daily basis and living and breathing your products on a daily basis. You know, when we inside of my agency work with brands, they're paying us to get up to speed on their brand. They're paying us to get up to speed on their products. And then after that, even though we work really hard to make sure our operations are really efficient and we work hard to make sure that we're pricing as fairly as we possibly can, you know, our clients are also paying a premium for that skill set and everything. And so I think that for us, I'm always talking to my team about the challenge that we have to overcome is this degree of separation with the brand, right? We have to overcome that because that's the stuff that's really evident. If you've seen a sort of a brand before where the community manager, you know, there's people asking questions or commenting and the responses are really either sort of these missed opportunities to educate the larger community. So an example of that would be like, email us and we'll answer these product questions instead of being able to answer it right there because that community manager doesn't know or sort of lifeless responses and stuff. Those are all missed opportunities to literally drive sales. And so those are a few of the reasons I could go on and on. I also think the other thing is as we think about just taking a step back of social media, just as we think about like, when we're making decisions about what we are sourcing in-house versus outsourcing, you know, we're asking ourselves these questions of like, is this a one-time project or is this going to be a part of our ongoing success, you know, and is, am I paying a premium when I outsource it? And both of the answers to those questions are yes, when it comes to social media. And so while I don't necessarily think it's always reasonable for like a bootstrapping or a scaling e-commerce business to do it all in-house, one of the things that I talk a lot to our students about is having the skills of leadership around social media in-house so that you're not paying for that strategic piece. So maybe you do get some support on content creation. Maybe you do get some support on ads, but you know what's what, and you're driving the strategy and you're leading the program. And that leads to it being more tightly aligned with your business goals, more resource efficient and more responsive to the market and what's happening. Yeah, those are all such great points. And coming from a corporate background where the company was kind of old school and me and my marketing manager were always trying to educate everyone on the importance of social. We finally got them to like invest in it, right? We were so excited. Okay, they care. Yay. And we did outsource it because they just didn't want to take it on in-house. And while it was very helpful, I don't know that it was necessarily even easier, right? Because there was so much communication that had to happen to keep them in the loop of what was going on. We couldn't be as reactive to things that were happening in the world. We used to always say, hey, there's a reason why it's called insta Graham. It's not like a day later, Graham. So that was always a struggle, but they were really, really great content creators. So it did take us a little bit of time to kind of get our legs with that. But in the end, it was helpful. But ultimately, years later, once they realized how important it was, we did eventually bring it in house and it just worked better. I mean, it just did because those people knew what was going on and what really mattered to us. You know, I know if you're listening, you're probably doing it in-house right now and you're wondering if you should be outsourcing it because will it be better if you go to an agency like Katie's? And the answer is maybe not. Maybe what you need is just support in the content creation and then that's what you outsource, which maybe that's something Katie can help you with too. We'll have her tell us all the things at the end of this, but... I just really wanted to set the stage of today's conversation because 
when you are hearing the strategies and things that Katie's teaching you, I don't want you to feel like, oh, well, I can't do it because we don't have the people. Well, maybe you need to go get the people to do it. I love it. And I would argue some of the things we talk about today, I say all the time, like you are actually the best suited, whether it's a brand director, like a marketing director or a founder are by far the most qualified people to be creating a content strategy. You just need to understand the process and how it fits in with what you already know about brand marketing rather than investing in getting someone else up to speed on every, all the institutional knowledge you have about your brand and your customer and your product. Yeah. And there was a point early on, even in e-commerce badassery, where I did have someone else doing my social for me because it was really the difference of like being consistent or not. (laughs) But I felt super disconnected from my audience. The voice was never quite right. Yeah, it was just all off. Okay, so I've got the notes here of the things that you want to school us on, which I'm really excited to walk through. So the first thing, and this of course caught my eye because she used really big percentages, guys, is (laughs) the three simple steps you need to grow your brand with social media marketing. But wait, there's more that drove 200% e-com growth for a family-owned jewelry brand and 150% e-com growth for a swimwear brand. So if it's only three simple steps, I really need you to tell us all about that. It is three simple steps. It is also, I apparently really like to communicate in sets of threes. There's three simple steps. There's three simple pillars that we'll talk about within one of those steps. So what I always say is developing a content strategy for social media. It's like the first phase is strategic. Who are we talking to? What are we saying? What does it look like, feel like, and sound like? But we have to get so much more clear on that. I think This is where there's a lot of noise right now from social media marketers in the industry that are like, social media marketers are the future CMOs. But what they're saying is you need to know your customer on a different level altogether to actually socialize with them and in a way that is meaningful and a way they respond to. So, you know, that first phase of just really translating to, I think this is where bridging the gap between a really strong brand strategy and what actually is going to happen on your digital ecosystem every single day, there's just some work to be done and saying like, what does that really look like, feel like, sound like all of that. And that's where there's a three pillar framework that we can come back to that is really tried and true and what drove that success, those little case studies. And it's what we always use. The second phase is tactical. That's where most of our industry lives most of the time from what I see with the bulk of what we hear from social media influencers. It's like, The way I phrase it is how do we get the right message in the right place at the right time for ultimate resource efficiency? Right now, everybody's favorite tactic is reels. (laughs) That's all right. Social media marketers are just like, what's your strategy? It's reels. And it's like, well, no, no, no. Because if we don't know who we're speaking to and how that specific human really wants to consume reels, for example, you might be watching influencers talk about how to use reels. And they're dancing and lip syncing and giving you all of these talking head tips. But if you're selling a beauty product or I don't know, whatever product you're selling off e-com and depending on the real nuances of your target market, they might not want that. And so it's really important to make sure that we do the strategic part before the tactical part. And then we want to make sure we're looking at all kinds of tactics, whether it's reels, whether it's a specific targeting strategy within like the customer journey and what kind of messages we're like matching up our targeting strategy 
engage the message that we're sharing, making sure we're tapping partnerships with other people and other brands, you know, the list goes on. So that's phase two. And then the third phase is optimization, right? You have to push your assumptions to market. And I think one of the biggest pitfalls in our field is that folks don't have quite the right measurement model set up for social media marketing. It's like all we look at is engagement, which is misleading because depending on what the message is, we should be measuring success differently. One of the frequently asked questions I get is, well, when I post about my product, I don't get as many likes. So I stopped posting about it. And it's like, well... The point of that post is actually to sell your product. So don't look at likes. Like, did people click on your website and did they go there or did they tap the shop? I would take one sale over a hundred likes every day of the week. So those are the three phases in a nutshell, three steps, I should say. I love all of this. And I want to touch on each one a little bit too, because I know Everyone is sick and tired of hearing, you need to know your customer, you need to know your customer, you need to know your customer. But there is a reason why every marketer, strategist, expert, I really hate the word expert because none of us can be an expert at anything, but all of those people keep saying that because it's true. So if you don't know who that is, you don't know what they want to hear, see, read, watch, like you just don't. So it's really important that you do dial that in. And I have tools to help you do that. If you need, reach out to me on Instagram at e-commerce by I get into my little announcer voice when I do that. Uh, (laughs) And Leah, let's talk about the tactical things and the reels thing, because I've seen quality over quantity any day. Like I have seen people who will produce like a trending reel They get a ton of exposure. They get all of these new followers, but guess what guys, none of those followers are people that actually want what they sell. So they're worth nothing to you. And actually it's just going to bring your engagement down because now when you post about all that other stuff that that person doesn't give a shit about because they only followed you because of that trending reel, like it's useless to you. So I love that we're talking about this and The content that you have in Reels, I know it feels like you have to dance, right? And you have to lip sync and you got to do all the things, but really, and thank you for saying this is no, you just have to create content that your audience wants to see based on the product that you are selling. And in terms of the optimization piece, (laughs) I know Because look, guys, this happens to me too. I'm like, oh man, people really didn't like that post. And it makes me feel like it was wrong, but no, it wasn't. It just hit a smaller group of people. But if it got the result that I wanted, then who cares? Like that's okay. So this is also why you need to just keep your eyes on your own paper, pay attention to your own numbers, do the things that your audience wants, and don't worry about what everybody else is doing because for all you know, that shit isn't even working for them in real life behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, I know for sure of a number of folks in my field that have 20 times more followers than I do. And our revenue is at the exact same place. And I think it's so hard. I mean, social media, as we record this, is having a huge backlash moment for these reasons I'm about to say, but it's so toxic on so many levels. And so I think it's really important for brand owners to like 
step away from the content creator mania, like Facebook just dumped all this money into content creators so that they can go around and talk about how important content is and all of this stuff. And just like, it's so stressful. And I think it's just so important for folks to reconnect to like, why they're in business in the first place. It's not for vanity metrics. It's to, in most cases, improve the lives of their customers with a great value add product. And all of this noise and all of these vanity metrics plays literally no part in any of that. And so I think that's that's really important to remember is that we're still measuring success on revenue and profitability and growth. And while audience growth and consumer engagement can certainly be lead indicators of those things, you were not operating in a vacuum of likes and follows. Yeah. Likes and follows don't equal dollars, friends. Just like revenue doesn't equal profit either. So this next thing that you mentioned you wanted to chat about, this one hurt me a little bit. This one got me a little bit. (laughs) That's why we had to bring it up at the pre-show. It's only with your consent that we will bring this up again here. This is legit what Katie wrote out was how the widely taught no like and trust in quotes model is killing your brand and losing you customers. So please elaborate on this and what you mean, because I myself talk about no like and trust. I know. And there is a time and place for no like and trust. I think that no like and trust from what I see it just has us talking about ourselves and our brands more than our customers need to. Like customers do not actually need to know you that well. They need to know how well you know them. Like that's the thing that's actually going to build trust is if they can tell you've done your research and you're saying things that land with them and you're able to put them at the center of your story. So the framework that I teach is three pillars. One is aligned with brand growth. One is aligned with sales. One is aligned with loyalty. And that loyalty spot is like 20%. And that's where all the no like and trust stuff goes. You know, that's where all your sort of secret sauce, personality values, great supply chain stories, great. That's where it goes. So I think social can be so chaotic that we kind of like overcomplicate it and lose sight of it is social media. So you think about how you would create a relationship with someone that you really want to create a relationship with in real life. It's the same deal. Like if you know you're going to meet someone that you really need to impress for some reason, or you want to make friends with because you think it would be mutually beneficial. What do you do? Right? Like a couple of years ago when we used to go to cocktail parties and stuff, right? So you would be like, you would do research. If you knew that you could meet someone, you would do research about that person. And what would you do? You would find common ground. Like you wouldn't just go up and start talking about yourself because then that person would be like, whoa, she's crazy. I gotta go. You know, like we have a stage five clinger, but what we really want to do is say, okay, I found out that this is what our mutual ground is. Like we both like golf. We both like tennis. If nothing else fails, we both have kids. Like what is the thing where you're going to start the conversation and you're going to casually drop it in there as though you didn't do that research, right? So that their eyes light up and they're like, wait, you like to skydive too, right? And you start the conversation there and then there's trust. And then you pull them back towards you. They become more interested in you and you talk about yourself. So similarly, when we think about the customer journey, we want to introduce ourselves to our customers on a topic of conversation that for sure bridges the gap between them and our product. Like it shouldn't be totally random. It should qualify, pre-qualify their interest in us, but it should be all about them. And one really low hanging fruit example of this is if you're selling like 
spices or kitchenware or whatever online recipes, right? Something that somebody can find value in and obviously has in common with you, but they can like have joy reading this piece of content without buying from you. There is nothing that builds trust like that. And then here are our products and sell through with pillar two. And then pillar three is going to be where you stick all of the juicy goodness that is no like and trust, but that should really only be 20% of the time. You kind of want like looking at a marketing funnel, you want that 50% of content to be pillar one, 30% to be pillar two and 20% to be pillar three. And that's where you stick all of that. Got it. Can you repeat that? So we have three pillars and you said, what were the percentages? Yeah. 50% pillar one, which is which is all about them. That's that mutual ground. Got it. Okay. Next one. 30% pillar two. Which is? <laughs> product. We sell through, right? All those benefits, UVP stuff. And then 20% pillar three, which is all about you. And the most important story is like, you think about it. That's the pillar that it's like, did we just become best friends? Like they might use your product or it might be the thing that tips them over the fence into the sale if, if we didn't get them on pillar two, but it's all the things that set your brand apart. And so that's your values, your mission, your supply chain, how you do business, your behind the scenes, your credibility, all that good stuff. Got it. You've taken notes, guys. Remember, when you listen to the e-commerce badassery podcast, the goal is for you to listen and implement, not binge, though I'm flattered that you binge my podcast and that you can stand to listen to my voice for so long. (laughs) But I really want you to kind of take it in and go do the things. Okay. So there's one other main thing you really wanted to talk about today, and then I'm going to get into some of the questions that I ask all my guests. But... You talked about a zero waste social marketing machine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Spoken like a true marketer over here. Yes. I'm like, is she a good copywriter or what? Talk to me about that. <laughs> so I think one of the things that I've been really interested in over my career, because where I started was similarly, we were a snowboarding company, so didn't think of ourselves as corporate, but we were a corporate brand. And at most corporate brands, like you have creatives and organic marketers sitting in a completely different room than performance marketers. And so when I started my own business, I became really interested in how much like waste there is to approach marketing that way. And of course, as a small business myself and wanting to be as efficient as possible for my clients, I kind of like became obsessed with that. And so when I think about a zero waste machine, it is about getting the right message in the right time at ultimate resource efficiency all of the time, not just in our sales funnels. And so what happens is when you actually organize your organic content in a way that mirrors your customer journey, like we just spoke about with pillar one, two, and three, now you actually can allocate not like huge dollars, depends on your budget. It could be 10 bucks a post. And this is especially valuable if you don't want to be just working for Instagram reels because we can extend our reach. So what we'll do is, you know, two years ago, we used to save a little bit of budget for our clients for boosted posts and they worked really well. And you just like picked auto placements, right? You picked auto everything and Instagram did it. And there was this one month, probably 18 months ago, where we noticed that every single one of our clients, the results we got on the dollar had just been like cut in, I don't even know what fraction of it. And it all plummeted. And we were like, well, that's weird. So the next month we decided to kind of take a different approach. And we essentially did these little micro campaigns. So it's still like a boost. You're working from your organic content, but you pick the audience and you pick the objective. And so what we started doing is we started taking pillar one content and aligning that right with 
audience growth objective. So engagement, reach, maybe traffic to site, depending on the piece of content, if it was a blog, and we would target people who looked like our customers. And then when we would be working on pillar two or publishing pillar two, we would retarget warm audience and sell through with conversion objectives. And pillar three can kind of go either way, depending on the nature of the content. And when we started doing that, I mean, when we use a pillar one piece of content on a blog and drive traffic, we see a click-through rate between five and 15%. And I think when we look at our averages year over year, it's between like five and 7%. And so obviously that's so resource efficient on the dollar. And it's, you're starting a longer journey, of course, like you're saying, but you're making the investment to introduce yourself and build trust in that way. And we would just see incredible immediate lifts in our average cart values in the months that we would start implementing the system, like 30% increase in average cart value for a makeup brand whose average cart value was like $50, right? That's like a huge increase. And it's because we were actually applying this sort of systematic machine mindset to our organic content, which is usually just less strategic um, if we're being honest. So that's it. It's really about making sure that we're approaching organic the same way we approach our customer journey strategy, the same way we approach our sales funnel strategies, aligning message to market, to objective, to budget, and doing that day in and day out. And the results have been really great and very, very consistent. Like we've never had it not work, if that makes sense. Yeah. Consistent results. Like what else is any e-com business owner looking for, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're not the first person I've heard talking about putting that paid effort behind that general organic content to just get yourself in front of people. And some of the pushback I hear here is like, well, how do I tie it to the final result, right? So it's a little bit harder for the CEO to see that direct effect. And so how do you kind of approach that with someone when they're like, "Mm, I don't think that's right? Yeah. I mean, the first thing we do is we do show those results. We show that consistently, like when I talk about that 150 or 200% increase with that family-owned jewelry brand, she didn't have a sales funnel in place. Like that was it. She drove traffic to her site with a really great blog post and then implemented this three pillar machine with her organic content. And that alone was contributing to her results. So that's the first thing. And I think the way that we break it down, which is like, look, we're not posting content just to post content. We are aligning it to your three critical business goals of increased demand generation, sell-through and customer loyalty. And you can directly see how we're going to allocate these dollars according to those objectives, depending on the message that tends to go well. (laughs) And then we, you know, we roll it out and we see, I mean, that's the thing too, with marketing, it's always, always your best guess or your best assumption. And then you have to test your assumptions. Yeah. If someone was to do this on their own, how long would you tell them to give it before they'd like decide whether it's working or not? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it does vary a little bit depending on how aggressive we're being. So volume of content and budget is going to obviously accelerate the rate at which we can see results. Our standard baseline, I like to just because we are a quality over quantity and a modest budget, that's kind of where we hang out. So I like to say 90 days. If you're posting like 12 times a month instead of every single day or multiple times a day, 90 days is going to give you enough time to like get it all out and see what's working, what's not working and what needs to change. Yeah. Love that. 
I kind of say 90 days for most things. Same page. Yeah. There's just so many other variables and we can't solve, we can't isolate them all. So you just need to give it a lot of time. So one of the things that I always ask my guests is to tell me about a strategy or something you tried that didn't work. And I find it so important to share this because nobody else is sharing it. Everyone's always talking about the good stuff, not about the bad stuff. And I really like to keep it really real with my audience. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have a really unpopular opinion for you here in the world of social media marketing. I don't know. I'm just going to say it. I feel like hashtags are inside of my agency. I've been pushing my team to be like, can we really do a cost benefit analysis of how long it takes to research and apply the proper hashtags to every post against like the actual incremental reach that it's getting us because I feel like more often than not, it doesn't. And it's a really sketchy thing for a social media consultant to be like, we're not doing this. <laughs> I love it. But like the question is, is the juice worth the squeeze? And it's like, sometimes it's a little extra, but I would say more often than not, we spend a lot of time doing that and it doesn't really work for much. Yeah, it is. So time consuming, right? Because you're trying to figure out one, does this hashtag even have content on it that matches the hashtag? You have to vet every single one. Yeah. How many posts are there? If there's like 3 million posts on this, like don't even bother using it. You're never going to get seen. And now with the recent announcement of it's like three to five hashtags instead of 30, like, yeah, it's less time, energy, and effort, but then is your reach even going to be less than it was before? So maybe it's worth testing, but I think it's okay to let go of things that like aren't serving you instead of spending so much time researching hashtags, just go research your customer and create content that they want to see and share. Yeah. Other than that, I could name a hundred million other little mistakes I've made in content, like in the form of content that I published that didn't land. <laughs> and I would say that every single one of them probably comes back to a miss with the target market. Like sometimes we get ideas in our head that mean more to us than they will mean to our customer. And so those mistakes are too many to name. Yeah. See, you heard it here, guys. Like it doesn't matter how long you've been doing this, what level you're at. Like we all just figuring it out. So don't beat yourself up when you have like one post that doesn't land. Maybe one day my mistake will be talking about not using hashtags on <laughs> an e-commerce episode. We'll see. Time will tell. Yeah. Like two months from now, she's going to do another podcast episode and they're going to ask her the same question. And it's going to be like, that's hilarious. I know the time and the day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So on a more positive note, how about a strategy you tried or something you did that just like blew it out of the water and you feel like everyone needs to do it? Well, this is kind of a specific case study because I'm not going to lie that three pillar framework and what I was describing about how we align message to market on that is probably like the capstone of my career in terms of strategy that works. That is like our end all be all. But otherwise, I think like when it comes to really getting into a lot of people struggle with that pillar one and pillar one is basically what you think about as your brand strategy as well. You know, what is your platform? What is your positioning? And what is the conversation that you're having with your customer that is 
at a higher level than your product. So one thing that worked really well once, and I think is just to encourage people to think outside of the boxes, I was working with a national cosmetic brand called Well People. Maybe some people know it. And they were one of the world or one of America's, I should say, first truly green, truly natural makeup brand. And we were talking about what should we do for our sort of Q1 campaign? Like what conversation are we going to have with our customers? And we decided to go with a campaign that was actually encouraging our people to take their makeup off. So it was like, we decided that during January, when everyone was going to be saying new year, new you with like all of this stuff that just is like marketing to women about how they're not good enough. We did a like set of basically, but here's your opportunity to be better. We had these series of videos of women actually like taking their makeup off, which was obviously like a little bit risky. It was really cool that they were willing to do it. And it went really, really well. We had like an overwhelming positive response, you know, because the customers felt like, wow, that is a real sure sign that this brand cares about us as more than customers, right? They're willing to talk to us about that didn't hurt sales. So especially like for e-com brands that are in really crowded markets, I just think that when it comes to your messaging strategy and when you're in that ideation phase, not being afraid to have conversations that need to be had that might be a little bit counterintuitive, you know, are really refreshing for your customers. Oh, I love that. And just proof that like you don't have to be selling all the time to make sales. And in fact, you make a lot of sales when you are not directly selling to people. Yeah, especially on social. Yeah. And to just remember that these are all just human beings on the other side who are struggling with all the same things you're struggling with. Like we all just want to feel seen and heard, really. (laughs) That's all we want in life. Don't make me cry, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I talk about this a lot, but the biggest reactions that I get on my content are the ones when I am just being me and sharing that I was at an Alanis Morissette concert in all of my 90s gear the other night. Uh, like broke out the tattoo necklace and had the plaid shirt tied around my waist and my Adidas shell top. And I just in my element. And those are the things that everyone is replying to me. And are they coming to like book my service? No, not right in this moment. But they're like, oh, she gets me. She's like me. She understands me. So that is beyond, beyond powerful. Love that. And yes, the concert. Oh my God, it was so fucking epic. I've been waiting a year and a half. This was supposed to be June of 2020 and it got postponed because of COVID. So finally able to go. It was so amazing. I'm still like on a high from it because man, I used to fall asleep to her album as a teenager. I'm having flashbacks. Yeah, I'm having flashbacks also to teenager. Yes. And then Alana definitely came out at my bachelorette party. <laughs> in a big way. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking love it. Oh, it's so good. Okay. So if the audience is listening and they're like, I need a little bit of Katie in my life, can you please tell them where they can find you? I know you have some programs that you offer. If they're not ready to like fully invest, give us all the stuff. Yes. So the names of my businesses are KW Content, which is our agency, and Strong Brand Social, which is 
our online learning place that we like to say is the safest space on the internet to learn social media marketing. We just like to be really inclusive and no stupid questions and just really hold space for people that are learning. And we have a variety of ways of supporting folks there, depending on what they're trying to do. If they're just trying to dip their toes in, if they're really trying to build a full strategy, if they need help building a team in-house, all of that good stuff. We have a masterclass that goes deep, kind of giving a ton of examples of world-class brands and just identifying that three-pillar system, so to speak, that I was talking about. So we have a free masterclass. Should I just give you the link for the show notes instead of reading it out? Yeah, I'll put all the links in the show notes. You can just kind of tell us what it's called. Is that the zero waste social system? A zero waste social system, baby. You definitely want to watch that masterclass. And then we also have a free Facebook community, Strong Brand Social. So that's another place to hang out with us, me and my team. We have Strong Brand Social Express, which is a great place to start. It's a $37, 90 minute kind of crash course. The objective of that course was really to say, okay, there's a lot of people teaching social media marketing in these super tactical vacuums. And I want to create something that helps people empower folks to see the entire landscape of social really kind of, if I understand all of this, what's available to me, then there will be no more surprises or things that I'm missing. And so really being able to build out like a holistic social media strategy that isn't reliant on just one tactic alone with some quick wins and all of that good stuff inside of it as well. Oh, love a good quick win. So KW Content is the agency. Strong Brand Social is where all of her other goodies. Like I said, we're going to have all the links to this in the show notes, including where else you can go hang out with Katie on the social medias. And then before we go, you know, if there's one thing that they should take away from this episode, if they've tuned everything else out, what would that be? I think that it would be that... It's really important when it comes to building a social media strategy and program for your brand that you think for yourself and that you're really willing to learn enough to understand what size program, what size investment you need based on your unique business goals, based on your unique resources, based on your unique life stage of your business. I think that the biggest flaw of our industry is just handing out blanket advice and really confusing people because the fact is that my business does not need the same social media strategy or program as your business does not need the same social media strategy as a hundred million dollar brand. Like it is all so different. And so what you really want is to understand the landscape and be able to build something that can grow with you. And that of course, you're only kind of investing into the extent that you need it. So it really has to plug into the rest of your business strategy. And so that would be the one thing is to really kind of be judicious as you consume material from our field and remember that what is right for one brand might not be exactly what you need. And so getting your hands dirty a little bit, just to be willing to figure that out. Yeah. Guys, rewind that and listen to it again. I'm going to do the same. I can't wait to go dig into all the things because you guys know I'm not the best at social. I focus at showing up here every week on the podcast and social is still a work in progress. I blame it a little bit of, I'm a little bit older, like not that older people can't do it, but I'm just not trained to document. Like after the fact, I'm like, oh shit, I should have recorded that. I know. Except wasn't it nice that you were just enjoying the moment? It's so hard. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So we all get the struggle, but there is a strategy that works for you. You don't have to do what everyone else does. 
Thank you so much again, Katie, for being here. I really appreciate you. And thank you to the audience just for hanging out. I know you could be anywhere on the internet right now. And I'll see you on the flip side, friends. so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're looking to surround yourself with more product entrepreneurs who totally get your life right now, get your booty on over to the e-commerce badassery Facebook group. Can't wait to see you there. Until next time, e-commerce friends, stay badass.